0: Today's conversation is all about what makes us who we are. I'm joined by Dr. Nancy Siegel, who has been studying twins for over 30 years. Dr. Siegel is a professor of psychology at California State University Fullerton and founding director of their Twin Studies Center. Dr. Siegel is the perfect guest for this topic because twin studies are one of the most powerful tools for teasing out the roles of nature and nurture. Her wealth of experience allows her to speak not only to the science, but also to the people And the stories behind the science. As a little girl, I was fascinated by the role of DNA in shaping our lives, and it led me to pursue a career in genetics. We now know that virtually every aspect of who we are, from height to intelligence to extroversion, is impacted by our genes. Yet, we also know that DNA rarely tells the full story. Our environment, lifestyle, and experiences also have major influences on these very same traits. So, instead of debating nature versus nurture, we should be talking about nature and nurture. We should honour the power of genetics, but also recognize that there is often a lot we can control. Ideally, we want to tailor our lives and our children's lives to the way that we are uniquely wired. Let's dig in! Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science-based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. Welcome to the show, Dr. Siegel. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. It's my pleasure to be here. So can you give an introduction to how you became so fascinated with twin studies? Because you've been doing this for decades now. I
1: have been doing it for a long time. I've been a professor of psychology here at California State University, Fullerton, for probably over 20 years. And I've been studying twins. I established a twin study center here. And the way I got into twins is that I'm a twin myself. I'm a fraternal twin as a sister. And as a child, I was just fascinated with how different we were, despite the fact that we had the same parents and went to the same school and had a lot of friends in common. And when I got older and I began to study psychology and I began to meet other types of twins, I realized that she and I shared only about half of our genes in common and that it was very, typical for us to be going off in different directions. And I always loved studying people. And when I got to college and studied psychology, I just loved the twin study sections and wrote some papers on them and got really good grades. So it all reinforced my interest. And I just stayed with it in graduate school and did a postdoc on the Reared Apart Twin Study in Minnesota and came here and continued in that path. It's been really, really fun. I think I like twin studies because they're personally meaningful to me, but Above that, they are just so professionally informative. They are a simple and very elegant way of looking at human behavior, but so informative at the same time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I came at my interest in this from a different direction, almost the flip side. I have, when I was younger, I had two brothers and I eventually had a sister as well, but we look very similar And to me, the question was, why are we so similar? And why do I have the same eye color? Why do I have the same hair color? Why do I, people almost mistook me and my younger brother for twins sometimes. So then I pursued genetics for my graduate undergraduate. Before we start digging into twin studies, I think it might be useful to do a really quick primer on what happens when we make non-twin babies at the DNA level. So everyone I'm sure has heard of DNA. That's the information molecule that carries the code of life. So DNA is organized into long bead necklaces called chromosomes. The human genome is made up of 23 chromosomes and most cells in your body have two copies of those 23 chromosomes for a total of 46. The egg and the sperm are different. They each only have one copy of those 23 chromosomes so that when they come together, you get back to what's called diploid or two copies. So a new baby as you can probably guess, is 50% related to their mom and 50% to their dad. And you can kind of see this or visualize it if you think about mom's DNA as red and dad's DNA as blue. So mom makes a red egg and dad makes a blue sperm and they come together to make a new fertilized egg that has half red DNA and half blue. So it's really precisely 50% related. But things get a little bit trickier when we talk about siblings, because you have to start thinking back to the grandparents. And actually, siblings can be anywhere between 40 and 60% related genetically. The way this happens is that, so you can start to think about the mom's DNA instead of just red. Think about it as, you know, dark red from grandma and light red from grandpa. And on the dad's side, instead of just blue, think about dark blue from Grandma and light blue from grandpa. So now when an egg is made, you kind of look at it one gene at a time, some genes are going to get the dark red copy will get pulled into the egg, and other genes, the light red copy, will get pulled in. So on average, an egg will have half dark red and half light red, and then an average sperm will have half dark blue and half light blue, but the specific pieces of the genome that are dark red versus light red and dark blue versus light blue, are going to vary in each egg and each sperm. So on average, when you compare two siblings, they will have, you know, similar amounts of each grandparent, but they'll have different pieces of them. So I hope that little bit of background is helpful. And now that we have that under our belts, Dr. Siegel, can you explain what goes on when twin babies are made? Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, let's look at the two types of twins, identical and fraternal. Identical share all their genes having split from a single fertilized egg within the first 14 days after conception. And fraternal twins result when a woman releases two eggs at the same time and they're both separately fertilized by different sperm. So they share half the genes on average by descent, just like ordinary brothers and sisters. And to get information from twins, we simply compare them. We compare the similarity in intelligence and personality and height or weight between identical twins. Not just one pair, but many, many pairs. And we compare that to fraternal twins. And If the identical twins are more alike, which they invariably are, then this tells us the genes make some contribution.
0: I have a 10-year-old, and he's always full of questions. And he wanted me to ask you, what is the largest set of multiples that has been studied? Does he mean human or non-human? Human. Human, (laughs) Human, I think the largest successful
1: birth where all the babies survived was nine. And as far as non-twins go, we know that there are... Two mammals, the armadillo, and because of the kite shaped uterus, they always give birth to identical quadruplets. That's the only kind of baby they can have. And then there's a small mammal called the Melita in South America, and they can have up to 15.
0: Two is enough for me. I do have a set of twins, and they're fraternal, and that is all I can imagine. I don't know how triplet and quadruplet families do it.
1: Well, you know, I think it's not as trying as many people think because the children have each other as companions, so they entertain each other. And also when you're done with diapers, you're done with diapers. Whereas if you have children spaced several years apart, you're constantly at different developmental levels. So in some ways, I think that would be a little more difficult, but I know everyone's circumstance is different.
0: Yeah. No, I hear that. I definitely find, I mean, I had a single first and he required, you know, full on attention from me all the time. And then the twins do play with each other a lot. So they, in some ways are easier at a certain age.
1: Now, you asked about the concept of heritability. Heritability refers to individual differences in a population. If I were to give an intelligence test to say 100 people, some people would be high scores, some people low scores. And why is that? It's because their genes make some contribution to that variability, but also their environments do too. And we find that with intelligence, about 70 to 75% of the person-to-person variation is linked to the genes. Now, some people have really misinterpreted heritability to mean that if it's 70%, that means that I can take a person and slice their abilities into a genetic and environmental component. That's not the case. Even in a population where intelligence has, say, a 75% genetic effect, then it can still be that a member of that population was severely deprived. And of course, their decrement in mental ability would be due to environmental
0: causes. You have to be careful about extrapolating when you see similarities or differences between people to assume what they come from, either genetics or environment.
1: Yes, and you know, Chana, a very common mistake is to look at parent-child resemblance and say, well, it was all the environment because they shared the environment. But keep in mind that they also share genes, so there's a confound there. People make the mistake that if you study intact nuclear families, that you can easily assign a causation, but you can't. That's why we need twin studies and adoption studies to disentangle genetic and environmental influences.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny. I would actually say the opposite caveat, which is I hear people often assume something is genetic because it runs in families, but they don't necessarily realize that families share the same environment, the same food choices, and so on. So it's two sides of the same coin. You talked a little bit about twin study design. And so the basic principle being that you're going to compare how similar identical twins are to fraternal twins because identical twins are 100% shared genes and fraternal twins are 50%. And so if something is genetic, you'll basically see half as strong of a correlation among fraternal twins, and identical twins. So let's talk about what we have learned from that. So, you know, which traits have you studied most in terms of heritability and stepping back to, you know, the broader field? I was looking at a meta-analysis this morning of 2,700 twin studies that was done in 2015, looking at 17,000 traits. So you obviously can't summarize all of that in a short podcast like this. But what do you think are some of the takeaways from the field? And then let's hear about some of your personal research and some of the things that you've learned.
1: Well, actually, there is an important takeaway from that paper, which was done by Polderman and colleagues in 2015. And they found that for traits just in many, many different domains, the average heritability was 0.49, so almost 50%, and that's often what we find. Now, the traits that I've studied on my own or with colleagues, we find that height is quite high in the 90s. Brainwaves, very stable characteristics, and some of these heritabilities do not differ between identical twins raised apart and identical twins raised together. Weight is a funny one. Weight is also about in the low 90s, so a little bit less. Weight seems to be a little more genetically influenced in men than in women. Women are more subjected to environmental and biological factors such as menstruation and diet and exercise and hormonal things like that. So female twins tend to be a little bit less similar in weight. Intelligence, as I said, about 0.75, some people have found 0.8. And the amazing thing about intelligence is that the heritability, the amount of variability that's due to the genes goes up over time it increases over time. And that seems rather counterintuitive because people think, well, if you're exposed to more environments, it should go down. But the important point is that as you age, heritability goes up because you have more control over your environment. You are in a position to select certain people, places, and events that are compatible with who you are. So that's why it goes up. Now, they studied religiosity. That is not your affiliation, but how much you participate in religious activities. And the heritability for that is about 0.5 also. But at first, they found no heritability. Why? Because they studied young twins living at home. And of course, young identical and fraternal twins do the same things because their parents say, you must do this or do that. But when they get older and they're free to design their lives in ways that are more individualistic you find that the identical twins tend to go on similar paths and the fraternal twins diverge.
0: I see what you're saying. So the study design will only pick up a signal if the fraternal twins show some differences. But if the environment is that sort of prescriptive, then there's going to be no difference amongst fraternal twins either.
1: That's right. That's right. And even some environments can overwhelm the genetic predisposition. You know, extreme environments can. A study by one of my colleagues found that when he looked at IQ, in impoverished twins, that environment made a much greater impact than it does in, say, ordinary middle-class types of twins. So, environments can overwhelm. I also studied a very fascinating family from Colombia, South America. It was a little complicated to explain, but quite fascinating. It was two identical twin pairs born in different parts of the country, one in Bogota, the lively cultural capital city, and one up in the north in a very remote farming village with no electricity or running water. And one of the little boys up in the north was very sick. So at day one, they brought him to the better hospital in Bogota. And while he was there, they accidentally switched him with the twin in the other pair. So the wrong twin returned. So they grew up as two sets of unrelated siblings, thinking they were fraternal twins. But the point I want to make is that the guys down in Bogota completed college, went to graduate school, whereas the guys up in the north didn't go beyond the fifth grade. And so When I studied them, you know, I expected similar levels of intelligence, but I found that it was definitely lower in the country-raised twin as compared to his city-raised twin because he simply didn't have the education and you can't compare graduate school to fifth grade. So that was a case of the environment overwhelming the genes.
0: What are some of the personality traits that are more or maybe less heritable than people might appreciate? Well,
1: extroversion is one that immediately comes to mind that has a strong genetic component to it, probably about 50%. Most personality traits are 50%. One that has a somewhat lower genetic effect is sociability. And they think that's because you tend to respond in kind to the people who are in your home. If they're warm and loving, you tend to respond. If they're not, you respond another way. So they think that may be the reason. But what is most important about personality studies, and we at Minnesota did the first four-group assessment of personality, namely identical and fraternal, raised apart, and raised together we found that the identicals raised apart and together did not differ in similarity. And that's another one of those crazy counterintuitive findings. But what it tells us, Chana, is that the reason family members living together are alike is not due to the shared environment. It's due to their shared genes. And the part of the environment that is important in personality development consists of those activities and events that happen to you apart from your family member. Maybe you took an exciting trip or you took a great college class, or maybe you had some sort of trauma, won the lottery. Those are the things that may affect your personality in important ways. And see, another way to look at the same class of questions employs a kinship that I use that no one else in the world studies. And these are what I call virtual twins. And these are children who are raised together from infancy and at the same age, but they're unrelated. Mm. And They are very different in personality and very different in intellectual ability. So, just sharing an environment does not do it.
0: (laughs) And haven't you also done some doppelganger studies? I thought that was a fascinating way to approach this.
1: Yeah, I did. Those were great. Now, doppelgangers, of course, are unrelated lookalikes. And some people have criticized twin studies because they say the twins are alike in personality because people treat them alike based on their appearance. I never bought that argument, but I needed a very clever way to challenge it. So, I came across a website and ultimately cooperated with Francois Brunel, who was a photographer in Canada, and he has assembled as a hobby all these look alikes and he takes photographs of them. And so he allowed me to give them personality questionnaires. And I also found some doppelgangers on my own and included them in the study. And I found that they are nothing alike in personality, close to zero. And I replicated this over two personality inventories. And I also looked at self-esteem, which again was close to zero. So what I suggest instead is that I think identical twins are treated alike by people, but people don't just decide to treat you a certain way. You evoke certain responses from people, and they're going to be more similar for identical co-twins than for fraternal co-twins.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit into what we don't know. So we've talked about heritability and the extent to which genetics determines, you know, both physical traits and psychological traits being on average about 50% of the determination. But it ranges probably between a couple percent and 90% averaging around half. So what explains the rest of it, right? We've talked about environment, but we haven't talked about an emerging field called epigenetics that I know there's a lot of interest in. So is that something that you've been exploring and what have we learned so far?
1: I don't do epigenetics in my laboratory, but of course I keep up with the research that my colleagues are doing. And what epigenetics refers to is the turning on or turning off of genes. And it could explain in part why some identical twins differ for Alzheimer's disease, for multiple sclerosis, maybe schizophrenia, because As I said, the correlations are never one, even for these complex genetically influenced conditions. And so some researchers down in Australia and the Netherlands, and I think all over the world, collaborated recently, and they published a paper showing that when the fertilized egg divides to produce identical twins, it leaves a signature on the genes, a kind of epigenetic signature, which makes it possible to identify anyone who is an identical twin, which I think is just extraordinary. But why certain genes turn off, why they don't, probably can be linked to certain as yet unknown biological influences in the womb, unknown influences in the postnatal environment. And there's a lot going on that we just don't have a handle on. And you know, what's always amazed me is that we study twins so much and we really don't know what causes the fertilized egg to divide. We just don't know why does it split in the first place. It's a great mystery, but it's one that keeps our interest at a peak.
0: Yeah, so identical twins... They don't run in families, do they? Fraternal do, is that correct? Fraternal twins do run
1: in families, and they're also more common among older mothers and also mothers of African descent. Now, it was thought for a long time that identical twins did not run in families. We're revising that intelligence now. It seems that it does run in some families. And if you go around the world, there are some pockets of people in India, in Iran, where you see huge kindreds of all identical twins. Brazil as well, south
0: of Brazil does the frequency of identical twins increase with maternal age as well?
1: No, no, it does not. It's just fraternal twinning that does.
0: That's good. That's a good reminder to myself to not be too swayed by anecdotes because the one person I know with identical twins got pregnant at close to 40. So I thought, oh, it must be because of advanced maternal age. But
1: actually, it's not the case that there's an older mother effect for identicals, but of course it can happen to older mothers. You know, I've known mothers who've had identicals at 45, but They think that in those cases, what happens is that the eggs are somewhat older and perhaps not as stable, more fragile, and that's why they divide. But that is speculative, of course.
0: I wanted to start wrapping up our conversation on this before we move on to discussing some more resources, including your books. But I wanted to give some thoughts on how to use this information in your life. So for me, for example, I have fraternal twins, and I see very dramatically the differences between them. And I have this appreciation that a significant fraction of the way they are is genetically driven. But there's another significant fraction that you actually can change if you want. So I guess for me, I find it helps me to accept them the way they are, some of the ways that they are in terms of one needs more sleep than the other, for example, or even food preferences as they've been offered all the same food. So for me, I find that just understanding this massive genetic component helps me to just be more accepting of both myself and other people of the way they are but I try to also see that there's this huge element that's also malleable and to not view my fate or any of my children's fate as set in any way and to not sort of give up on saying, you know, this is a done deal, therefore why bother pursuing college or whatever it is? I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on that kind of putting it into your life. Well, I
1: think that what it does is it gives us an appreciation for why children in the family are so different. And I think it sends the important message to parents that the best thing you can do is to be very vigilant as to your child's interests, abilities, behaviors, weaknesses, and try to just help that child be the best that he or she can be. And I also think that equal treatment is not necessarily fair treatment, or the same treatment is not fair treatment, because what might really be wonderful for one child may not work for another. Children most of the time love bedtime stories, but for one child, it may be pure bliss. Another, it may be information overload. And so I always tell parents that parents of one child are environmentalists and parents of two are geneticists. And I think that no one is better positioned than you are with fraternal twins. I don't know if they're same sex or opposite sex. Same sex. Same sex, okay, girls, boys? Girls. girls, girls. Because you've got two different genetic children at the same age, and so you're perfectly poised to see that what works with one child may not work as well with another. So I think that the important point for parents is think about what's important. You know, don't try to make your child into something that they're not because it's going to go against their genetic grain and you wouldn't like it either, but just really help them to discover what they like about themselves, what they're good at, and they will enjoy it. And that's a very huge responsibility to my point. You know, I was in a debate not long ago called Parenting is Overrated, and I took the pro side. But it wasn't that I think parenting is overrated. I think a better title would have been parenting is misunderstood. I think that's what it was.
0: Yeah, I love what you just said about equal and maybe not always being the best thing, because I think maybe a better approach is to tailor treatment to your child's genetics and just the way that they naturally are. So for example, again, one of my twins is much more extroverted than the other. So maybe one would love a drama class and the other wouldn't, or maybe the one who's introverted would benefit from that. But you really have to tailor your approach to who they are.
1: That's right. I think that's so important. We have a great appreciation for individual differences in this culture and many cultures. And of course, when it comes to identical twins, they're individuals as well. They're not completely cookie cutter and they form relationships. Sometimes one is a little more outgoing, one a little more submissive. They may change places on occasion, depending on the context. So I think that we have to get away from thinking of them as a unit, but nevertheless, I think identical twins should be allowed to fully appreciate and enjoy their twinship because they're born with a lifelong partner who completely understands
0: them for the most part. And that's a real luxury. It really is an amazing gift. I see that every day with my girls. So I always like to wrap up by giving people material to learn more. And I know you've written a number of books. So maybe can you tell us about your most recent one?
1: Yeah, well, this is my seventh book that is not even released yet. It's released next Monday, November 8th. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, It's called Deliberately Divided. And the subtitle is Inside the Controversial Study of Twins and Triplets Adopted Apart. For your listeners who have seen the movie Three Identical Strangers, a very popular documentary that came out in 2018, I go much more into that twin study that was referenced. Basically, what happened was an adoption agency called Louise Wise felt that it was twins' best interest, that when they were given up for adoption, they should be placed in separate homes. They felt that that would give the twins a more secure identity and not overburden parents. And then they were studied secretly several times a year until about 12 years old, and the parents were never told they were raising a single twin, and the twins never knew. And all of them had met as adults, most of them at any rate. And it's been a traumatic shock for them. And I go into the issues of the cover-ups in the study and the possible lawsuits and the archives, the data are sequestered at Yale University's archives till 2065, I mean, all of these issues, the book is written for a general audience. It's lively. It's got a lot of stories, a lot of twins' life histories in there, but it's got a little science too. And it really makes you think hard, you know, what drives an investigator? These were two prominent psychiatrists who conducted this study for the most part. And it makes you wonder, these were experts who carefully thought this out. It's hard to believe that they could go forward with this to separate twins. It's just hard to believe.
0: Just the thought of having my twins not in the same household is heartbreaking.
1: Yes, it absolutely is. And I keep thinking that if the investigator who developed this idea really believed in it, why not tell the world about it? Why not go to parenting groups and child development associations? But she didn't. It was kept only for the twins given up for adoption, as if they were a lower class of individuals. And I think that was so wrong. And the amazing thing, too, there's an ironic twist to this every twin who was studied, every identical, they only studied the identicals, but also separated fraternals. Every identical pair had to be placed in a family with an older adopted child, older by two or three years, so they wouldn't grow up as an only child. And yet when they came into the world, they weren't an only child. There's a very odd, ironic twist to all of this. But I think that I'm excited about this book. I have six other books that I've written. Entwined Lives was my first, and that's a really nice general overview of everything you ever want to know about twins. I wrote twin myth conceptions, the facts and the falsehoods about twinship, all kinds of questions asked there. So yeah, if people go to my website, and I'm assuming you can make that available, Chana? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I won't blurt that
0: out. Well, you can say it, and then we'll put a link as well.
1: Okay. So it's all lowercase org, and there's no grammar in there. It's just D-R-Nancy Siegel. Siegel is S-E-G-A-L, Twins org
0: so in closing what is the one thing you're looking forward to in twin research in the next number of years well I have a lot of twin
1: research projects ongoing and one that I'm particularly excited about has to do with twins who marry ordinary unrelated people and have children because those children are not just legal first cousins they're genetic half siblings because they share a genetically identical parent and you have the same thing with fraternals only they're not you know, the children do not have siblings, they're the ordinary legal first cousins. And what I've been doing for years is getting the feelings of the twin aunts and uncles toward the nieces and nephews. And I find there's a lot more investment and in caring by identicals than fraternals. So I want to now start the other way around and talk to the children and see do you feel equally bonded to your mother or your aunt or your father or your uncle and compare that to identicals and fraternals. So I think. That'll be a very interesting twist. And again, a way of addressing the same class of questions.
0: Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. The pleasure is mine. All right, take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. All right, bye-bye.